friends, countrymen, we've made it to another edition of everyone's favorite whiskey-adjacent podcast, The Wit and Whiskey. I am probably the whiskey uh, half of that. My name is uh, Mark Rossetti Jr., and here, as always, is my favorite cocaine-fueled bunny, the adjacent to the whiskey, DJ Gagnon. <laughs> hey, everybody. Happy to be here. 80-some episodes in, and, you know, after that intro, you give, like, your weakest, least energetic intro in recorded history. <laughs> We're not the best comedy duo in podcasting for nothing, folks. <laughs> it's true. Well, we're glad you joined us for uh, another, well, delve both into the bar and in this case into the vault, because today we're going to be talking about uh, some of the many, many, many things both DJ and I collect. Some people, including my wife, I don't know about Holly, but definitely my wife, uh, would call it hoarding. My wife. Uh, Yes, very nice, my wife. Uh, (laughs) She says, I hoard. uh, but we're going to talk about collecting. We're going to talk about uh, some of the things we enjoy collecting and possibly how to find said items. Uh, but that's later. Uh, for right now, we're going to start off by doing what we do every time I start the episode. We're going to stump DJ <laughs> with, you know, just what, five simple words. What did you do this week? Oh, my God, buddy. My uh, This post-op wound, I can't tell you how many times I've just wanted to dig a fork in. It's just... It's so itchy at this point. So I had to keep myself busy this weekend. Um, So, you know, I finished painting a room in our house. I'm getting the next room ready. Like, it's just house projects and trying to keep myself busy and trying to make sure I don't just ADD out of all the things I have to do. So if you had a cat, he would scratch it for you, whether you want him to or not. Yeah, it's it's getting to that point where the sutures are supposed to be dissolving in the next few days, and I just... It's done. Just get them out. It's so itchy. I had to to sleep on an ice pack last night. If it's that itchy, then yeah, they are they are starting to dissolve. That was actually gonna be my next question. Did they give you the the go away sutures? Because God, when they rebuilt my jaw, oh, those last couple fucking days, just I was just tonguing at. I didn't even care. I'm like, dissolve faster, damn you, dissolve faster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, other than that, uh, work's just been really busy. Um, we're doing like quarterly planning right now, which is just, it's really boring, but really, really busy. Um, so that's been (laughs) just a lot. Uh, so I, I, it's basically just been work, cook, dinner, collapse, repeat. Uh, so I'm looking forward to next week when we're out of like planning phase and I can just kind of sit back and watch all my machinations happen. That is a good day when, you know, your schemes to take over the world begin to facilitate themselves. It's truth. How about you, buddy? What you been up to? Oh, Christ. Uh, This weekend was WrestleMania weekend. For those of our listeners like myself that enjoy the redneck redneck anime. (laughs) So I watched so much fucking wrestling this weekend. It was borderline criminal. I mean... There was AEW, there was ROH, there was NXT, there was WWE, there was, I even saw a little bit of CYN, although what I saw wasn't very good. Um, You know, three nights in a row, well past midnight every night, I think it was something like 32 hours, 34 hours, something like that. Mm. Um, I don't recommend, I can't do it the way I used to as a kid. I'm getting old. And the cat doesn't let me sleep in. So uh, 
we had that. Today was interesting. I got to do a little bit of uh, intermuseum uh, networking and uh, loaning of items, you know, transferring of items. Uh, our local VA hospital actually has a uh, small museum, an exhibition space, so we were able to exchange some items and you know do a little bit of mutual touring, which was pretty cool. Although it was kind of awkward because it was a nice day here today, which has been rare because it just rains constantly. Uh, so I took the IROC out today. Oh, nice. And I couldn't, well, I couldn't find a place to park. Uh, the VA, the, uh, our VA is in the process of building a massive, you know, multi-story parking garage, but it's not ready yet. And so there was no real spots uh, unless you had a handicap sticker, which of course I don't. So the gentleman who runs their little museum goes, oh, don't worry about it. I cleared it with the police because they have their own police force, which is very interesting. He said, I cleared it with the police and you could just park up front. And I was like, where up front and he goes oh just pull around out front i'm waiting for you you know i'll, I'll show you where to park he had me basically park where the ambulances pull up <laughs> that's not great uh, and so you know i was just double checking with one of the cops just to make sure because it's like you know man hey i just got this thing running the way i want it to don't fucking you know impound it and he's like oh yeah you got the iraq right no nah, it's fine like okay <laughs> so it was both cool and awkward at the same time. Oh, man. I'd be so nervous. I was a little nervous for a little bit, but then once I talked to the cop and he didn't really seem to give two shits, I was like, all right, if you don't care, I don't care. <laughs> so, I mean, there were other bays. It wasn't like I was blocking the only spot for an ambulance, but I was definitely blocking one of them. That's good, at least. So, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, speaking of fun, you have a fucking chemistry experiment written down as your drink. I do. So, go ahead. What are you drinking this week? Uh, I was actually going through my collection, and I realized it's it's actually uh, been a year since I tried Johnny Walker Black on the podcast. So I wanted to bring it back um, and do something interesting, because for my birthday last week, I got a bitters kit... Uh, and I got uh, a bunch of cool syrups. And then for Christmas, shout out to our buddy Lou. He got me some uh, some cocktail bitters. So I wanted to try and like throw some stuff together today. And uh, this is really fucking good, Mark. I, I actually really like what, <laughs> what I've come up with today. Uh, so I made a uh, basically a homebrew old-fashioned uh, out of Johnny Walker Black and uh, a couple of my my new cocktail ingredients uh, from my aptly named cocktail collection. Uh, so I went with uh, the, the Yes Cocktail Company uh, makes a line of uh, cocktail syrups. So I went with two ounces of Johnny Walker Black, uh, a quarter ounce uh, of charred oak and maple cocktail syrup, and uh, two dashes of Strong Waters Black Walnut Bitters. Ooh. Oh, my God. It's so good, man. It, it's that smokiness from the whiskey. You get that that hint of charred oak. You get a little bit of maple that goes really well with it. And then the walnut kind of just wraps it all up nicely. Uh, so I definitely recommend Strong Water Bitters. They are amazing. Uh, I will hella be breaking into these more as, as we go forward. Um, and the, uh, the cocktail syrups are really interesting. Um, my, uh, my, my 
my dad's girlfriend got me a bunch of these cocktail syrups, and one of them was like a a bitter chocolate that I'm I'm not sure what to do with just yet. I I'm I'm, I'm thinking of some ideas. Uh, another one was just straight up grenadine, but it was like the fanciest grenadine I've ever tried. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, it's kind of fun because, yeah. you know, there are levels to grenadine. Yeah. You know, there's cough syrup and then there's really good grenadine. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make a joke about the Simpsons and the flame and a flaming mo, but I don't think you'd get it. So we'll just move on. <laughs> yeah, probably for the best. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, you know, grab your favorite uh, smoky whiskey. And uh, check out these ingredients. I, I'm going to be talking more about these as we go. Um, the Old Fashioned, I feel like, is a really versatile t- cocktail. And all it needs is, uh, you know, a themed whiskey and then just kind of meld the other ingredients around it. So I'm going to be playing with this a little bit. Uh, I probably won't do every episode of an Old Fashioned. Uh, but we'll see a return of it at least once more this season. What about you, buddy? Could, if anybody could do an entire 15 episode season of variations of one cocktail. It's definitely you and definitely with an old fashioned, mm-hmm. like standing on your fucking head. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. I, in my sleep, I could, I could come up with 15 recipes for the old fashioned. I am drinking a low quasi local, uh, bourbon. It's the, uh, resurgent bourbon, uh, whiskey company. It's their young American bourbon. And it's their 104 proof young American. Wow. And this is kind of fun because this is getting a little bit into our theme. Uh, these are limited release. Uh, they're part of their custom cask collection. And so they're numbered limited releases. Uh, my bottle, the best I could tell, is 601. Although you'll see on the photo what I sent it to you. If you look at it close enough, it could be 001. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's supposed to be 601. But if you look at it quick enough, you never know. Uh, so it's uh, 104 proof, 52% alcohol by volume. Yeah, since it's bourbon, it's 75% corn. And we know next to rye, corn whiskey is my my jam. It's true. Uh, 75% corn, 17% rye. And then it's actually 8% uh, just malted grains. Uh, it's uh, They say that it's actually a... They, say that it's cast strength, but it's actually a little bit above cask strength. Uh, you would like this because it does have a little bit of lesser uh, wood taste. You do get a little bit of wood. You do get a little bit of smoke, but that is not your primary hit. Uh, you mostly get some uh, spice. You get the big rye bite because 17% for a bourbon is pretty high rye. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end, it kind of like burns out. Uh, a little bit of honey, a little bit of sweetness, uh, and then you just get some pepper and you get that good burn. The wife was kind of funny. You know, usually when I'm taking the pictures and I'm making my drink, if she's up in the kitchen, she says, oh, what are you drinking this week? And, you know, I'll offer her some, and sometimes she says yes, and sometimes she says no. <laughs> and uh, she goes, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll try this. And she took a sip, and she goes, oh, that's actually not that strong. And I was kind of like waiting for it. Cause I'm like, yeah, it's 104 proof. And I didn't fucking tell you. And then she just goes, Oh, Oh, it's still burning. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, that's not going away. And I'm like, well, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm sure I stand with our <laughs> listeners here by saying that I just absolutely love a good Annie trying your cocktail story. 
I really should start filming it. And, you know, we could put them up on YouTube or something because they are pretty funny. But, mm-hmm. you know, she basically gave me a look like, you cocksucker, you tricked me. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, it's very good. They uh, The one fun thing about uh, Resurgent and uh, Revivalist, which is uh, another one of their labels, things, they give you a lot of different uh, cocktail recipes. And they also are like, hey, you know, even though this is a limited release, don't be afraid to put a shot of spring water in here because it's going to open up the nose. And this is the way it's going to taste if you mix it with water and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I didn't do that here because, you know, you've got to lift the gimmick. Uh, but I do think it's kind of cool that they actually give you, like, the option. And they're like, yeah, if you do this, this will happen. Um, as opposed to, you know, say fucking tin cup when they're just like, yeah, we put all this water in there with you. Have fun. You don't get the choice. Nice. So, yeah, resurgent. <laughs> This is what Good happens shit. when you don't feed the fucking pigeons. This is what happens when shit goes south, folks. Uh, yeah, so whatever I just said immediately for you people at about five minutes ago in real time, I stand by all of it. It's good shit. Mm. It does sound like something I would want to try. It does, actually. Um, and, you know, it, it fits in with our, our collecting theme, which we'll get into later. It does. I'm excited. So, all right, what are we doing for Tools of the Trade? Well, I we've talked about bitters in the past, and I tried a new bitter tonight, and I thought, why don't we talk about, instead of just talking what, about what bitters are, we could talk a little bit about making bitters. Oh, snap. Uh, yeah, we're going to get chemical. Uh, so, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, did you know that vanilla extract is just a bitter? I believe you've actually told me that, yes. Okay, yeah, so, like, anything that is an extract, right, root beer extract, maple extract, mint extract, um, they're all basically the same shit. You take a high-proof alcohol, you put it in a jar with a bunch of shit, you shake it once every other day for two weeks, and then you strain out the solids and you have a bitter. All it really is is a hyper-concentration of taste in a high-proof liquor uh, carrier. So, uh, that there's a lot that you can do here, right? Like you can make, uh, you can make herbal bitters, you can make, uh, spiced bitters, you can make, uh, you know, we think of some of the, the named bitters like Angostura and Peychaud's, those are proprietary formulas. They're going to tell us about it. Um, I, and, and we have talked briefly in the past about how like the history of bitters used to be patent medicines, right? You know, they'd ride into town, they'd say, this tastes gross, it's going to heal everything. And that was bitters. Uh, but the the cool thing that you can do with them today is basically you're going to take, uh, you're going to take some water, you're probably going to uh, boil some of that water with some of the spices or the ingredients. I'm looking at a recipe right now for an apple bitters, uh, and it's largely using peels right like it's not using chunks of apple uh and then it's using a lot of apple spices like apple pie spices um it's using uh you know clove and cassia and coriander and allspice and cinnamon uh and then you're using a high proof bourbon you're using a cup of water uh and you are going to use some simple syrup but whereas uh you know in a a cordial or a liqueur you're going to use a lot of sugar right a lot of simple syrup it's going to be a couple of tablespoons to the 
you know, three cups of, uh, of uh, liquid that you're using. So you're going to kind of get uh, things heated up. You're going to get the, um, the water leaching some of that flavor out, and then you're going to put it into a mason jar all together uh, once it's cooled with the liquor. You're going to shake it um, out of direct sunlight for shaking it once a day, uh, and then you're going to strain it out, and you're going to add the simple syrup. So there's going to be some, it's a process, right? Uh, with vanilla extract, uh, I've seen some recipes uh, take a week. I've seen some recipes take up to a month. It's the same sort of process. You're going to take the vanilla, you're going to toss it into a jar of high-proof vodka, uh, you're going to shake it up, and you're eventually going to have uh, extract, which is cool. The rough part about bitters is that you're you really don't want to leave the the solids in the solution uh you know if you're if you're doing like a lavender bitters uh you're going to steep them in hot water for a while and then add them to a, a jar with uh your high proof vodka likely and you could do something like everclear too um but you're going to want to get the solids out after the bitters are done because there's a certain point where too bitter is too bitter and it's just going to taste nasty. You're no longer getting the concentrated flavor that you're after. Um, with something like vanilla extract, it doesn't really matter. You can leave the vanilla suspended in that vodka forever, having a rustic-style uh, vanilla extract that you can top off with a high-proof clear liquor uh, when you get low and just shake it up, and a week later you get vanilla extract again. Uh, the, the I'm also looking at another recipe for um, potentially... It's more of an herbal, um, right? You can use, uh, like, la you can do a lavender one. Um, th there's a lot of different bit bitters recipes that, that are a ton of different ingredients at once. I would recommend if you're just starting out, start with, like one ingredient maybe do like a lavender bitter or a cherry bitter or uh you know a walnut bitter something like that to kind of test the grounds and figure out you know is this something you really want to do and maybe don't make a gallon of it <laughs> are we speaking <laughs> from experience on that last one uh speaking from experience i uh definitely made a lot of pickles once and it turned out to be a shit recipe and I don't know how to get rid of these terrible pickles. <laughs> so, Pickleback uh, shots. Yeah. Lots of pickleback shots. Yeah. Um, I, it's not even that good. Um, so the, the other thing that you want to consider is what are you going to use this bitter for? Now, if you're doing an herbal bitter, uh, you know, a lavender, a lilac, um, you, uh, I can't, why can't I think of any er other flowers? I've seen dandelion um, cordials, so you could probably do a dandelion bitter. Uh, if you're going to do something that's herb forward, uh, think of what you're going to use it for. Um, I love whiskey. Mark loves whiskey. I, I can't think of a whiskey off the top of my head that I would pair with a lavender bitter. Um, you know, a, a more herbaceous bitter goes with a more herbaceous liquor. You're going to want to use gin or vodka for it. Uh, so if you're going to be pairing this bitter up with a clear liquor, use a clear liquor to make the bitter. So if you're going to make a lavender bitter, use Everclear, use vodka. 
if you're going to make something like a, uh, a smoky maple syrup bitter or you're going to make a walnut bitter uh, or hell, if you're really feeling frisky and want to go down the aromatic bitters, mm -hmm. consider where you're going to use that. Um, I probably wouldn't pair a black walnut with an, a, a rose hip infused gin. I'm, I'm going to use that with my whiskeys. So you can use a high proof bourbon. Use a high-proof bourbon for, for those bitters. So just consider like what the usages are of these various ingredients you want to add. Um, you know, cherry is something that can play in both camps. Try out an Everclear version of a cherry bitter and a bourbon version and see which one you like better. So that that's kind of my my shameless plug here. Uh, and if you are gonna get into bitters making, um it, it's a fair amount of chemistry. You're gonna be measuring a lot of ingredients and you're going to want to heat things up and whatnot. Feel free to have fun with it. I definitely want to get some beakers and shit when I start making bitters. Oh, my God. You probably have fucking goggles and a lab coat and a whole nine goddamn yards, don't you? Um, I do have a chef's jacket that looks very much like a lab coat. Color me shocked. But, yeah, that's, that's tools of the trade. Try it out. Make your own bitters. Mark, what do we got for whiskey news? Well, before we get there, I just want to say how on brand it is that you recommend your first recommendation for people to start off. You're like, do something simple. Try lavender. Mm. <laughs> like if you had a gun to my head and told me to make 10 different bitters, I don't think lavender would be at my top. <laughs> really? I would, man, I, I, I'm, I want to make a gin version of an old fashioned using lavender bitters now. I'm not saying it's not going to be good. I'm just saying that it just shows you where our heads go. It's true. I tend to be a big fan of gin. Uh, I, I, Whiskey is still my favorite liquor, but I, I really like gin. <coughs> I've, never, right, I've uh, never seen Mark drink gin before. Uh, occasionally in the summer, I'll have a G&T if I have a lighter cigar and I'm sitting on the porch or something. But it's, yeah, you can... You can count on one hand. <laughs> so, uh, whiskey news is going to be fun because this is going to be the second time we're going to flummox DJ because this is going to involve a sports reference. Mm. So, DJ, uh, as you probably are not aware, uh, by the time our listeners are going to hear this, baseball will have started again. Oh. And as you also probably are not aware, uh, for the Red Sox, for a long time, there was a really good player named David Ortiz. I do know about this guy. Wasn't he called Big Pappy? He was indeed. Well, he has partnered with our good friends and fellow New England institution, Whistlepig. Ooh, ooh. To create Big Pappy's piggyback rye. Now, I want to give you a few uh, stats here. Six years it's aged. The mash bill is 100% rye. 97 proof. Uh, it is a single barrel uh, whiskey. They are, they've produced less than 100 barrels. They won't give the exact number, but they say it's less than 100. Mm. And... After the six-year aging process in the barrels, they are then taken out and they are aged for a further six weeks 
uh, in containers made from Big Pappy's bats. What? Yes. His maple and ash uh, custom-made bats from the Red Sox. That doesn't seem sanitary. Well, they do say, let me, I have the press release up here. Uh, Let me find the exact quote. This is from Megan Ireland, who is the chief whistlepig blender. Uh, It was incredible to collaborate with David Ortiz, whose toasted maple bats add layers of spice and caramelized notes to the bold 100% rye character of whistlepig piggyback. Uh, It goes into the process of how they actually do it a little bit further down. I mean, at that point, why not just take the outer leather covering of a baseball and infuse that in there, too? Uh, they say that this is the first whiskey, although not the first alcohol of any kind, but the first whiskey to ever be aged uh, with baseball bats. Part of the profits from every bottle go to the David Ortiz uh, Heart Classic, which is uh, his foundation, which benefits children that require heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Uh, Ortiz's signature DO34 Maplewood bats have been confection toasted to increase consistency. So basically they put them in an oven. Uh, now I did a little bit of math here uh, based on your standard barrel size and, you know, bottling for a 750 milliliter bottle, 100 barrels would be just under 27,000 uh, bottles. It's like 26,400. Mm. So since they're doing less than 100 barrels, they won't tell us how many, but since they're doing less than 100 barrels, I think it's a pretty safe bet to say that they released 25,000. Uh, nearly all of them are gone, at least on the initial run. Uh, but you know what the best part is? No. Guess who got one? You. I did. I was able to get in for the pre-order. Uh, I got the email saying I was in. It's not going to ship till the middle of this month. Nice. Uh, but later on uh, this season, we will be able to review it, and you could just gag as I drink all the leathery goodness. That's awesome. Well, I'm pretty excited. I mean, I was a Red Sox fan. I was a, a big David Ortiz fan. Uh, so that is fucking 100% whistle pig. So, you know, why not? <laughs> I mean, I can say that the only uh, professional sporting event I've ever been to was a Red Sox game at Fenway Park. There you go. That's a good one to have. Exactly once. I don't remember anything about the game, but we were behind the the, the middle plate. Ah, uh, yes. The legendary middle plate. Yeah, you know, it's how it does. I would actually love to do an episode in a future season on baseball and whiskey just because the history of the game. Like, I actually do a lecture for my real job on baseball in, like, the 1860s because it was just fucking wild. You just want to get off on another three-episode history of x thing not really because like once you hit like the 20s the game is pretty much the way it is now i mean there's a few changes like they lower the mound and they do x y and z but like the first 60 years of the game 70 years of the game it was in some form some ways unrecognizable yeah fair but all right that's not what we're talking about this week now how do, how do you want to do this? Do you want to go back to our old format? Do you want to do one and then have me do one? Or how do you want to do this? Yeah, I think that's that'd be perfect. 
All right. Well, why don't you start us off? What, what's your first thing that you collect? All right. Uh, I have a lot of things in this list, so I may combine or skip them depending on how many damn categories you have. Um, I have six. I have a half dozen. Okay. So uh, the first one I will say is manga. Japanese okay. uh, Japanese comics. Um, and this came about because... You know, I, I got into high, uh, sorry, I got into anime and manga in college. I didn't get into high school in college. That's a weird thing to say. Um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a long week and it's only Tuesday. Um, and I started collecting manga. And then when Holly moved in, she had already been collecting manga. And we just kept collecting manga. And we never really stopped and so we might own about four thousand volumes of manga at this point wolf (laughs) yeah um so it we own so much manga that i have uh very kindly but forcefully uh guided holly to making sure that it's alphabetical by series because otherwise i'd never find anything um, it comprises of six full bookcases and it spills over to a seventh. Uh, Holly has her own bookcase in the bedroom full of Yowie. Um, and we're just going to skip over that. Uh, I don't count that in the 4,000. Uh, Yowie's fine. Uh, it's good. I own a few volumes myself. Um, I, I can't really falter for it. I, I own a couple of series of Yuri anyways. Um, but the cool thing about our collection is it's been going long enough and it's big enough that, uh, we've got out of print series in our collection. Um, way back there was a, I mean, I guess not way back, but I guess about five or six years ago, the manga publisher Tokyo Pop went out of business, uh, and they were they had all of like the the really big shojo series like Fruits Basket and um, oh man there were so many of them like Fate Stay all of the Fate Stay series were were Tokyo Pop they had a lot of really great series that are super hard to find and I've been able to round out parts of my collection. Um, so we were, we said we're going to talk about how to collect, right? So with manga, uh, it's really easy to, to start out, uh, just going to the normal bookstore, Barnes and Noble and Books a Million both have really great manga selections. Uh, so there are genres to manga, just like there are in literature. Uh, and there's also different types. So, uh, there are light novels, which are very few pictures, uh, and they're usually like 180-page prose. Uh, so if you're more of the written word kind, uh, that's a really great way to get into manga. Uh, they have just as pretty covers, but uh, it's all prose. I tend to read a lot of uh, light novels that are in the isekai genre, which are... Uh, Mark's giggling now because of, of our D&D game that we just started. Um, so I, I read a lot of those series, uh, in light novel form. And then you've got genres just like normal literature. Uh, normal literature has a horror genre. There's a horror genre in, 
manga. Very few of it ended up in my collection because Holly and I aren't huge uh, horror fans. Uh, but then there's like gothic and noir type stuff like uh, De Grey Man and Pandora Hearts. Uh, really great stuff. Uh, there's Shonen, which is kind of that big action hero power friendship genre. Uh, there's Shoujo, which is, you know, romance and slice of life type stuff. Uh, there's a whole genre that's just slice of life. Uh, I recommend My Neighbor Seki. Uh, it's just about two middle school kids sitting in the back of a classroom every day, and the the boy builds these elaborate uh, puzzles on his desk and gets the girl in trouble because she's trying to figure out what the hell he's doing. Um, just really fun. Uh, and, and there's just a ton. There's so many genres. There's vampires, and there's werewolves, and there's romance, and there's action and all, all the good things. Um, if you find that you want to get deeper into collecting manga and finding some of the out-of-print stuff um, or some of the rarer stuff, for example, uh, there's a really popular anime and manga series called Bleach, and the writer uh, is named Kubo Tight. And before he did Bleach, he did a one-off uh, called Zombie Powder. It was four volumes. took me forever to find the last two volumes. Um, but the way you can do it, if you aren't a convention person, if you just want to do this from the comfort of your own home, uh, I definitely recommend eBay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, e eBay, you can find some out-of-print stuff. It's a little bit harder. Um, if you are somebody who likes going to the convention circuit, find the biggest anime convention near you and just hang out in the dealer room, there's going to be at least three or four giant retailers, and they come with a bunch of out-of-print stuff that you can dig up. I have uh, w one of the series I really love that it took me forever to finish uh, because it went out of print uh, was Zombie Loan, and uh, I was able to find all of it at Anime Boston one year, which was amazing. Uh, the other thing I recommend for collecting manga is pre-orders. Uh, and it sounds really silly. Um, and I, I don't usually like plugging stores here, but there is a rather large online retailer that everybody knows about. And if you are reading like six different series, what you can do is you can order the next like three or four volumes in that series. And you could do it for all of them. And you put like a massive manga order in, right? Like 20 books. Uh, but the cool thing about this retailer is you don't get charged until they ship. So you can pre-order them and just have them showing up month after month at your door. And you really only have to put an order in like once a year. And then you... It, it looks like you're about to spend like $300. But in reality, that's... You only get charged over the course of that year. So it's kind of... It's kind of nice that way, and it gives it, it. It, I don't. I don't know about you, Mark, but it makes it really easy for me because I constantly forget what series I'm reading. So it, it's a good way of just like, all right, I know for the next year I am set, and I'll set myself a calendar appointment next year to you know you do your taxes and then you do your manga. My problem is uh, both with manga and just. I also collect manga, although I didn't put it on the list because I knew DJ would talk about it, and mm -hmm. I don't have anywhere near what uh, DJ has. Although, that being said, I also didn't know Tokyo Pop went out of business because I have uh, quite a few Tokyo Pop yeah. volumes, Get Backers and Sergeant Frog and different things. I love Sergeant uh, Frog. But so good. Such good shit. Uh, 
But my problem with both comics and with manga is I will binge and purge. So, like, I will go literally months without buying anything. And then I'll either go to a convention or I'll go down the street to River Mallet, my local comic book store, and I will buy dozens mm-hmm. of books. And I forget what the gaps are because it'll just be like, oh, Sergeant Frog, I'm reading Sergeant Frog. Okay, I think I left off somewhere around 17. So I'm going to buy everything from 18 on. And then I'll get home and be like, oh, I don't have 22. I don't have 24. <laughs> I don't have <laughs> – then you'd have to go chasing you know, individual issues. Oh yeah. It, it took me three years to find volume 19 of Yu Yu Hakusho. I don't know why. Yeah. It's just that one volume I could not find anywhere. All right. What's your first one? Well, uh, you know, I, we already talked about it a little bit, so we'll jump into it. Whiskey. <laughs> I mean, you know, duh, we're on a whiskey podcast. No, uh, you know, I say duh, but I actually, didn't collect whiskey until we started doing this. And do you know why, DJ? Because it's expensive? No, not even that. It's actually, well, depending on what you buy, it's expensive. But just to, to have a socially acceptable collection for when people come over, it's not that bad. No, it was the idea of collecting whiskey was so asinine to me because I'm like, no, you drink it. You buy the whiskey and then you drink it. <laughs> then you don't have it anymore, and then it's not a collection. <laughs> and I couldn't wrap my head around that. And now I'm just like, oh, I've only got like half a bottle of this left. Better start drinking something else. <laughs> I've gone full circle the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I wrote in my notes that I have about three dozen bottles. I'm actually closer to four dozen. I have 44 upstairs. Wow. And there's a couple floating around in different places. I have a bottle of Glenlivet in my cigar locker and, uh, I think there's still a bottle of VO at my parents, a couple different things. So I've got around four dozen bottles currently. Uh, I've been keeping a spreadsheet. <laughs> uh, basically, my advice is go to the liquor store when you have a little bit of extra fun money, when you have a little bit of extra play money, buy one bottle of what you want to buy, you know, whatever it is you drink, whether it's, you know, Glenlivet or Monkey Shoulder or whatever scotch or, you know, um, Jack Daniels or whatever it is you buy and then buy another bottle that's on the shelf that's within your means price range, mm. but that uh, is on the shelf that you just go, huh, that looks interesting. And it could be for whatever reason, it could be because of the flavor notes. It could be because of, you know, what it's cast in. It could be because of what proof it is. It could just because it is a funky bottle. That's how I got into uh, the Rector Irish whiskey. It was just a funky ass bottle. Nice. And I was like, that'll look cool on the shelf. Uh, also, don't be afraid to buy pints. I mean, I know not everything comes in a pint, but you know, if you want to have a few, especially a few of like the entry level or the wells, like your Johnny's, your Jim's, your Jack's, they all come in pints. Just buy a pint. Uh, pint of Jack Daniels is like 10 bucks. And then, you know, you have a bottle of it. Amazing. Uh, so definitely do that. And, you know, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to collect. Don't, don't, and don't be afraid to drink. You know, it's gotten to the point now where uh, I have some of the, the rarer bottles, some of the more allocated bottles. They only get drank once in a while, but then I have a couple bottles in the rotation that they get drunk down, then a new one goes in, and they get drunk down, and a new one goes in. Uh, just if you get big into uh, uh, decanters, like I kind of did, I have seven decanters now, make sure you write down somewhere what's in what. Yes. 
it's easy to forget. <laughs> so that's, that's my whiskey collecting advice. Especially when you're Mark and you're going to just drink some right after pouring it and then promptly forget what you poured. Yeah. So, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a spreadsheet, but even if you just have a little notepad somewhere or even stick like a post-it note, you know, underneath or something, but just so you know. Oh, yeah. All right. What's your second one? Uh, so my second one, I, I got into this like, as I was getting out of college and I, I feel like this is something that I, I have a hard time recommending people get into this because this gets really fucking expensive, but it's signed in semi rare books. Yeah, that's a jump. Yeah. And so I will make just a huge disclaimer here. Um, I do not have anything that like needs to be behind lock and key, right? Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the Strand in, in New York. I have. Uh, so the Strand in New York uh, is a an amazing bookstore that touts like 12.1 miles worth of books. Um, and the cool thing about the Strand is the top floor is their rare book room. And they legitimately have like climate controlled cases for like the first edition of Pride and Prejudice they've got up there, right? Like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, I don't have anything like that in my collection, but I started out collecting uh, my favorite books at the time uh, before we knew he was kind of shitty, uh, but it was the Ender's Game series by Orson Scott Card. And uh, I have slowly yet surely uh, been supplied with first editions, hardcovers, all signed or book-plated um, by my dad over the years. He, he has fleshed out this collection uh, for, like, the last ten Christmases. Uh, so I've got just this massive bookshelf of, like, rare first edition signed copies of these books that are important to me, but, I mean, the guy's still alive. Like, you can get his, his signed books relatively easily. Um, but I just like it. I like the idea of like holding in my hand a book that I know an author held, uh, you know, so I've got, uh, I've got almost all of the published works of Joe Hill signed at this point. Um, I, I, every time he's at the Portsmouth Music Hall, AJ and I go and, and get something else signed, uh, cause he, he's super local to me. Um, I also started collecting like rare, hardback and leather bound books that were old. Um, again, nothing crazy, but I do have like my favorite book in my collection is a Franklin Library's hundred greatest books of all times collection, uh, leather bound copy of Alice's adventures in wonderland. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's very good. It's probably my favorite book in the collection. Um, but I've also got, like, I've got a numbered and slipcased edition of Neil Gaiman's Stardust, a numbered and signed slipcased edition of Dodger by Terry Pratchett. Um, so all, just some really great books in the collection. They're all kind of scattered around. Um, I also, uh, the last thing I'll say here is some authors, for whatever reason, I mean, Neil Gaiman is is obvious, but Patrick Rothfuss is American, so I don't know why this would be the case. But sometimes books get published with completely different covers in the UK and the US, and there are, like, 
three books in my collection that I have both covers uh, because I absolutely love uh, both covers. Uh, so my, my favorite example is um, Neil Gaiman's uh, Fragile Things. It's uh, his second short story collection, I think. And uh, I've got the the paperback copy that he released. There was like a special, nice special edition of it. And then I have a nice like hardcover edition of the UK cover. It's really pretty. So uh, if you want if you want to get into this stuff, don't go to rare bookshops. No, God, no, no, uh, because you will be setting yourself up for disappointment. Uh, those. I will never have the amount of disposable income that will allow me to walk through those doors and walk out with something. Um, but I, rec- I again, eBay, uh, eBay, um, go to author signing events, look for, uh, local events near you. I, uh, I, it completely random, but I was able to, uh, meet Anna Kendrick in person and got a cop, a signed copy of scrappy little nobody. So, uh, that, that stuff just happens. I mean, I don't live in a metropolitan area and I still managed to, I managed to meet Dan Brown once and, and got a sand signed Dan Brown book. So if I can do it, you can do it. I mean, that's words to live by right there. Yeah. Never say never. All right. Well, for my second one. I have video game consoles. Oh, damn. I, I did this one, too. All I, right. Because, I mean, I don't necessarily collect video games themselves. Uh, but I collect the consoles. Uh, I, I find it interesting. I, I'm currently at 17. Mm. I was I was at 20 for a while, but I let a couple go. Shameless plug. I've seen this collection. It's to die for. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, the collection uh, starts in 1977 with the uh, Atari 2600, mm-hmm. which as a system still functions, but it's uh, rather difficult with modern televisions now mm-hmm. because you don't have the RF switch and the whole nine yards. Uh, and then, of course, the most recent one is 2013 with the PS4. I don't have a PS5 yet because, you know, they just don't make them. Uh, but maybe one day. And uh, we'll go from there. But, uh, you know, I've got some oddball ones. Uh, Atari Jaguar, just because I wanted one. Uh, Sega Saturn, which is still one of my favorite systems of all time. Sega Dreamcast. Uh, some of the more common ones I have now, because I actually have a Switch. I own every Nintendo console but the Virtual Boy. Oh, I had one. It got struck by lightning. I had one and I sold it. I'm kicking myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I have the whole set now. That was a great system. I mean, gave me migraines, but that was a great system. (laughs) I was lucky. I never got the migraines. I used to get a crick in my neck from having to hunch over to play it. Mm -hmm. Because even with the stand, I couldn't make it go high enough. Yeah. Uh, So we have that. Interestingly enough, they're all consoles. I don't have, well, depending on how you classify the Switch. I don't have any handhelds. Uh, Oh, no, that's actually not true. I still have my Game Boy Color. Mm. So I take that back. I still have my Game Boy Color. So I guess it's 18 total currently, if you count that. Uh, I had a Game Boy Advance. I gave it to one of my cousins, if I remember correctly. And I had two 3DSs, both of which I sold. 
No, that's such a good console. I never played them. So I just, if you ever have a 3DS and you want to make easy money around Christmas, put it on Craigslist. It'll be gone the same day you put it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, for consoles, where to go? This one is hard because conventions often have the candy, but you're going to pay. Yeah. Uh, Of course, you know, you could have your Moby Dick story. I had in my hand at, was it Anime USA? I think it was Anime USA. I don't think it was an Oda, I don't think it was Otacon. But about 10 years or so ago at Anime USA, I had in my hand in the original box a working Neo Geo. Woof. And I walked away. I said, that's too much. I said, I can't blow my entire weekend's worth of money the first day. And I've been kicking myself ever since <laughs> because they're about 10 times what that guy wanted now. Uh, likewise, I don't know how it is by UDJ, but around here we have quite the market for, uh, boutique used video game stores. Yeah. That just, uh, repair and sell older consoles and older games. Again, they have the candy. You're going to pay more. You, you will, but you also, depending on, (laughs) depending on what you're looking for, you might just find it like, uh, my local friendly, my friendly local comic book store. Um, they have a room out back. That's all like rare video games and stuff. And you can usually find something pretty great. Well, I was going to say it's six to one, half a dozen to the other. You could usually find what you want, but you're going to pay a little bit more. Whereas, but you have the, the security of being able to look at it. In many cases, you could even test it mm-hmm. and God forbid something happens. You have a place you could take it back to eBay, you can if you if you could find the stuff, you can often get it cheaper. But until it shows up, you don't know what you're getting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit of caveat emptor there. Uh, Craigslist is another good place. And Craigslist at least has the happy medium in that a lot of people. uh, You can meet them somewhere like if they're in driving territory. So that's sort of a little bit in the middle. Yeah. You know, meet them, get murdered, that that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> see i do a lot of buying and selling well i used to do a lot of buying and selling on craigslist but the auto part of craigslist has pretty much just died because of facebook marketplace yeah fair. Um, that has pretty much just killed that but uh i never had any issues but yeah video game consoles are fun um you know it, it it's kind of enjoyable to go back to the way things were i know dj does not like the polygon ceiling at all <laughs> uh, but uh, for me, you know, so there's still some old games, you know, just a couple times a year, especially with uh, with the wife. You know, Annie is uh, quite a bit older than me, so she remembers games a little bit older. She remembers the Atari. She remembers the ColecoVision, uh, things like that. So, you know, sometimes just hooking up the NES and blasting through Mario Brothers again is just a good time. Yeah, I'm just going to piggyback off of yours and just kind of dive right into mine too, because I, I never really thought of my video game collection as a collection until like I realized I, (laughs) I never got rid of anything. Yeah. Like I still own my cartridge for uh, Superman 64. That a boy. (laughs) I've never, I've never, I, it's, I am proud of my shame. It's buried in my closet, but I still own it. I I was going to say one day I'm going to get you really drunk and I'm going to buy that off you because I don't have mine anymore. (laughs) Oh, it's so bad. 
Oh, I know. I played it, and I seem to recall I beat it with the help of the Game Shark, but that's neither here nor there. I don't think you could beat it, because just when you would be beating the boss, you'd fly through a wall and go to zero space. That's why you needed the Game Shark. Yeah. (laughs) It's the only time a Game Shark fixed a game. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Uh, But yeah, there's definitely some white whales that I would love to add to my video game collection. Uh, I... I had a Game Boy Micro in my hand at one point. Ooh. And uh, it, it had, like, that, that like, classic Famicom uh, faceplate, and I walked away from it. And I, I, I regret that. Every time I'm at a video game show, I, I seek out the Game Boy Micros and then walk away because they're $500 now. Um, but, I mean, I still have every Pokemon game that I've ever owned... I still have every Mega Man game I've ever owned. Uh, I still have my first video game console, which was a Super Nintendo. Uh, and I've got... I, I never had the original Game Boy, uh, and I lost my Game Boy Color. I don't remember what happened to it, but um, I still have my Game Boy Pocket. I've still got a Game Boy Camera and a printer. Um, I've got... Uh, a Game Boy Advance, a Game Boy Advance SP. Uh, I got, I get, I think I sold my original DS, but I, I do think I still have a. Uh, there was like a mini version of the DS, and then they did a the 3DS, and I think I have two. I might have two 3DSs. I may only have one now. It's hard to keep track after so many years of playing video games at this point, Mark. So aside from the micro, uh, you know, don't, don't think about it too long, but you know, one thing that isn't in your collection that you could have, what would you buy? Uh, there was a game on the GameCube uh, called Lost Kingdom. And I own its sequel, and the sequel is really good. And the first game is not supposed to be very good, but I really regret not playing it. And uh, it's like two or three hundred dollars on eBay all the time. Yeah, that's a GameCube game. Yeah, I mean, just in general, like there's half a dozen games in the cube uh, that I wish I got, and I, I'm glad they remade some of them, like Pikmin Two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some games that I I honestly um the other white whale in my collection is a working wave bird. I have one. I know. I'm jealous. <laughs> Why are they that I'm not even being a dick. Are they honestly that rare? Uh I I don't look because I lost the dongle and it makes me sad. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but you can buy new GameCube controllers now. They work with the Switch. Yes, I, I did see that. And I mean, I will say, I know it's not the same thing. It, it doesn't have the nostalgia. It doesn't have the cool factor. But there are knockoff wave birds that are reasonable and they work just as well now. Yeah, it's the principle of the thing. I know. <sighs> Anywho, uh, what, what, what's your, what comes after video game consoles for you? Uh, oh, well, just uh, Lex Luthor merchandise. <laughs> In all of its shape, way, and form. Again, I wasn't just going to do comics because I figured you were going to do comics in general. 
although I do collect comics and I do have several hundred, pretty much all DC, mm-hmm. except for uh, a pretty long run of the original uh, Invincible Iron Man. And there's a couple of those Marvel Star Wars comics. And, but I mean, 90 plus percent is all DC. Uh, but it's not just comics. Uh, I also collect the action figures. I collect the Legos. I believe now I have, with one exception, I have every single official Lego minifig. Oh, that's good. I, ha- I have the rare one. I just have to order the the one with him in the when he was with the Justice League, which I'm not ordering for obvious reasons. But once I order that, I'll have the whole set. <clears throat> I also collect... Props. I have a piece of kryptonite from the set of Superman Returns. I have a piece of a, uh, one of the suit jackets Michael Rosenbaum wore in Smallville. I have some script pages and, and things like that. Uh, commissioned artwork is another big one. I enjoy going to conventions. We have a couple local ones here, and they usually have three or four artists. And for the most part, they're the same. Some of them rotate out, some of them don't. But every year, I just go to a different one and just say, hey, can you draw Lex Luthor? Cool, draw me Lex Luthor. <laughs> nice. And, you know, you're supporting a somewhat local artist, and you're getting a usually one-off piece of art. Very few are um, the same. So that's kind of fun. Uh, I actually have a few pieces I still haven't hung up yet, I'm embarrassed to say. Uh, for the comics, I, I don't do what a lot of people do. I mean, I have a lot of the key issues, at least a lot of the key issues I can afford. Um, you know, my my grail, my white whale, if you will, would be Action Comics 23, which, of course, is the first appearance of Lex, which goes in mint condition for about $450,000. So <laughs> that's never going to happen. Uh, but I, I do have a lot of the key issues. But honestly, I buy covers that fascinate me. I, I like decent covers. I especially like variant covers. Uh, so I have some fun ones like the variant cover for Superman Unchained number one. Uh, I believe it was every 50 or every 100 issues, but it's uh, a modern interpretation of the classic Lex and Supes flying over Metropolis, punching each other in the face. They did like a, a, a modern reprint of that. So I have that. Um, a few of the Supergirl issues with Lex are pretty good. So basically, you know, if there's a slightly different cover and if he's featured prominently, uh, I'll pick that up. The the one I want to get, although the wife's kind of hemming and hawing about me hanging them up, because most of my favorite Lexes and my number ones and everything, they're all hung up. Yeah. But they did, there was an uh, issue with the Suicide Squad where they redid that famous Photoshop of Jack Nicholas like dancing with Harley Quinn, mm. but it's Lex Luthor dancing with Harley Quinn. <laughs> and the wife's like, I don't know if you're going to hang that one up. So I haven't ordered that yet, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, but basically, you know, go to your friendly local comic shop, go to conventions. Weirdly enough, I've started to see a lot of individual issues and the prices aren't terrible, but you really have to do some searching to find what you want, but they're popping up on Etsy of all yeah. places. Etsy's got a weird market that it's like a weird place to, to snap things up. Yeah, I've actually, uh, that was where I got the, uh, Rosenbaum suit. That was where I got a couple of the older uh, silver and bronze age Lex issues that I have. They just showed up on Etsy and it's like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, it's interesting because despite being Superman's like most famous villain, there's actually not in the grand scheme of things. There's not a hell of a lot of shit out there, mostly because 
when you think of DC villains, you think of Batman. So that's where most of the shit is. Uh, but whatever your fancy is when it comes to comic book merch, chances are it exists. Yeah, it's true. I, I have a very narrow collection of comics. Um, I mostly connect, uh, collect like weird one-off series, things to do with Damian Wayne. Cause he's my favorite comic book character. I've talked about this before. Um, and, uh, I, I collect Scotty young, uh, Marvel baby variant covers. Uh, I've got an entire box of those all boarded, boarded and sleeved. Um, yeah, I, I wish I had like cool things to say about comics. Uh, I do have a bunch of, uh, trades signed by Mark Miller and Sean Murphy that that was a pretty cool event. Um, I just got Shattered Grid signed by Jason David Frank, the original actor of the Green Ranger. Um, so I've got I've got some cool things, but I I can't claim to have anything like rare that I would want to hang up on the wall. I think. Well, I mean, to be fair, most of what I have isn't rare. <laughs> I mean, some are. But uh, some are just issues I like. Some are key issues in the grand story. And, you know, you talk about getting signed. If you are a convention person, uh, oftentimes they will have uh, uh, different artists, different writers. And just like there's IMDB, there's actually a comic book database. And so you can punch in whoever's going to be at your local convention. And basically anything they've ever worked on will come up. Yeah, And so before I go to a con, I always just run through a few of my books and see, oh, you know, did so-and-so do this and so-and-so this. So I usually have like three or four. I'm that guy. I'm a mark, you know, go, could you sign this, please? And everybody's just fucking thrilled. And usually you'll get a, a fun story about the production. I found that like, oh, yeah, this panel sucked or, you know, we wrote this like three days before deadline or something like that, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think my white whale would probably be the 1987 Batman Son of the Demon. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not even, it's not necessarily that rare. Uh, I mean, I if I were to really find the issue itself, because there's like third printings or stuff, but if I, if I could find a first, like a graded first, printing copy of son of the demon that would probably be my first because it's the first appearance of damian wayne as an infant and then they never fucking touched him again until 2006 weirdly enough i don't actually own any graded comics yeah a few of my lex Luthor trading cards and limited release cards and things a few of those are graded but I don't actually own any graded comics. Um, as for what one I would probably buy, I would probably graded. I'd probably buy Action Five Forty Four. I, I own a copy of that anyway, but I'd probably buy a, a graded copy of it because that is uh, Luther Unleashed. That's when he first gets the super suit. Yeah. So I mean, that would probably be the only one. But that that's interesting. I don't actually own any graded comics. Yeah, it, that would kind of be my white whale. That and uh, Batman number 655, because it's where Damien comes back as, you know, the Damien we know today. Um, I'm a little surprised you don't own that. I don't, largely because when I got into collecting comics, I started buying trades. Uh, 
Oh, okay, that's fair. Yeah, so I do own that that complete Grant Morrison run of Batman where Damien comes in. I own like uh, I own a trade of Battle for the Cowl, and I, I've got that full run of Snyder and Capullo. Um, it's all really good stuff. I've even got like a. It's a Batman and Robin and an all-star Batman and Robin, but I've got like the absolute editions. So those giant nasty leather bound ones. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's how I own Sandman too, by the way. I'm a little jealous. (laughs) Those are pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little jealous. Um, All right. If I were to kick us over to the next one, I, I feel like I can cover these two at the same time. And it's, it's very brief. We're going to, we need to do an episode about magic, the gathering, but um, we did. (laughs) I feel like we need to do another one where we just play it. Ooh, we could live stream us play. Yeah. 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 Because I have more opinions. Um, but, uh, MTG, uh, and board games. Um, I definitely have some board games that are, uh, out of print. Uh, like Mechs versus Minions. Uh, I've got some obscure board games that I got off Kickstarter and, uh, you know, just, I've got some crazy shit. Like, I think I've still got a a first edition copy of the expansion to Boss Monster. Um, Yeah, there's just some fun things in my board game collection that I've acquired over years of being an avid board gamer. Um, And then for Magic the Gathering, I I tend to collect the pre-con decks, but I, you know, I sleeve them and I, I put them in deck boxes and, uh, I've got a nice play mat with my favorite, uh, planeswalker on it. So, uh, I, that stuff is fun. I will say that the only serious collection thing I've done with magic, the gathering is my binder full of the complete run of the D and D cards. And that was, yeah, fun. I'm a little jealous. I don't have the whole run. Yeah, there are. Uh, I am missing some of the the old school art cards because when I went and did uh, some buying on TCG Player, nobody was selling the classic art cards. Um, but I've got everything else in the set, and that makes me feel pretty happy. Um, I will say, if you are going to get into collecting MTG, um, have, don't have some money <laughs> and don't have another hobby. Um, because it's going to cost you, uh, but a way to minimize that, it depends. If you're going to fill your binder up with every single set, you're going to be paying out the nose. Uh, but if you want to do deck building, there's some ways to make it affordable. Uh, check out the popper format where you can only play with commons that, that keeps the price down. Uh, and you can use, uh, there's on TCG player, they have a mass entry tool, so you can list out quantities and names of all the cards you want. And if you don't care about getting them off in the same set, you can have them optimize your card and save like hundreds of dollars. It's, it's absurd um, how well their algorithm works. And they'll just pull from independent sellers and package them up for you or send you. I did at one point buy a deck. It took six months to construct it because uh, I, was, I was building one for a friend for Christmas. And uh, I think I got like 43 packages over six months. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and with board games, uh, eBay. Um, I, I don't know if you remember the game that Iggy brought uh, to Dave's house that one time, Saltlands. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I I do I did get a copy of that, but it was out of print by the time I found it. So I I had to like eBay a copy with its expansion, um, things like that. And uh, if you want your games to last longer, invest in card sleeves. It's a really great way to like keep a rare game going. Yeah, and you know they're actually not that expensive. It is kind of a pain in the ass to sit there and sleeve everything, especially if you have a uh, a bigger game. And uh, not only does it take a while, and it's very tedious. Uh, the problem I'm running into with, say, the the Batman animated series game is it doesn't want to all go back in the box once it's sleeved. Oh, uh, yeah, that's the other thing. Invest in a company like Broken Token. They have box inserts for a lot of the most well-known nerd games, uh, and you can they usually take sleeves into account. I don't know if there's one for Batman, the animated game, but um, it's worth checking out. Like, I got a really great setup for Dominion. I'll have to look into that. Mm. All right, what you got next? I, I feel like this one's going to run a little long. Uh, yeah, you may have to split this one into two. Uh, next is uh, one of my quirky little eccentricities, but it was one I knew you weren't going to talk about because you don't collect them. Atrax. No, why would I collect these? <sighs> Well, I mean, you know, they sound better than cassettes or CDs. Yeah, I'm sure they uh, do, you hipster. <laughs> so, uh, for those of you who don't know, eight tracks uh, are big audio tapes, like physically large. Uh, the format was actually released in 1963, which, believe it or not, was actually after cassettes. Cassettes were around a long time, but they never actually became popular. Uh, when I bought my charger, which was a 72, it actually had a cassette player in it, believe it or not. Uh, the sales for a tracks peaked in 1978 and pretty much plummeted the following year. Uh, I think my collection ends in like 83, but, uh, amazingly enough, a few record companies were still releasing them as late as 1988 and Radio Shack was still selling blank a tracks up until 1991 which just blows my mind. Uh, they are called eight tracks, the number eight, because they feature four stereo recording tracks or what they call programs. You'll often see on the label for the tape, program one, and then so many songs, program two, then so many songs, program three, then so many songs. And since each of the four programs has two, you know, stereo, it has two recordings. Those are the eight tracks. No. Uh, the benefit to this, DJ, I'm sure you'll be interested to know, is that unlike your cassette tape, it means it never needs to be flipped over. I guess uh, that's good. It will just play and play and play. Uh, you can't fast forward or rewind an A-track, at least on most. I shouldn't say that, on most players. Uh, but you can switch programs. So at any given time, you could switch between four different songs that are playing, which is kind of fun. Uh, and even though I know we're running long, I would be remiss if I did not tell the story of the first A track I ever bought. Yeah. Uh, it was Kiss Double Platinum, which is not the favorite of my collection and not really one I was hunting for. But we had just bought our 68 GTO, and this was before we cut it up and made it a race car. So it had an A track player in it. And we had no idea if this actually worked because we didn't have any A tracks. So we called around and 
there was at the time a used vinyl and music store not far from my house that was called Wayne's World <laughs> because the guy's name actually was Wayne. And we got on the phone with him and Wayne was a bit of a stoner and he was arguing with us. No, man, no, I can't. I have an A track. It's Kiss Double Platinum, but I can't sell it to you. I can't sell it to you. You bring your GTO here and we'll just we'll put it in and we'll see if it works, blah, blah, blah. But I can't sell it to you. And he's arguing with us. And finally, we said, wait, what, what, what's the big deal? What? He goes, no, nah, man, this is worth a lot of money, man. This is worth a lot of money, man, blah, 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 blah. And finally, the old man being the old man is about fed up. And he goes, well, what in the fuck is a lot of money? What do you want for it? And Wayne's kind of just taken aback. And he goes, well, man, I'd have to get at least five bucks for it. What? <laughs> and, the man, and the old man goes, here's fucking 10. Give me the tape. And so he goes, well, are you serious, man? And the old man's like, yes, give, just give me the tape. He goes, well, if, if you want eight tracks, come back tomorrow with $20 and I'll hook you up. So we're like, well, we'll see. We don't even know if the if the player's going to work. We take it home. The tape works. The player works. The whole nine yards. We go back the next day with $20. He has, no word of lie, two 30-gallon garbage bags filled. Jesus. Here you go. <laughs> well, how much would you have realistically paid for it? I mean... Cause we didn't know anything back then. I mean like the most expensive a tracks go for like 12 to $20. And we <laughs> probably would have paid them 20, 25 bucks just cause we, we needed to know if it worked. Uh, but I mean, probably my most expensive a track. I think I paid $15 for it was that you're going to laugh at this. Cause you know me, you know how much I hate Christmas, but I wanted it. I have the original Christmas with the chipmunks <laughs> on, on a track. Of course you do. And I, I paid $15 for that, but it, it was worth every penny. Uh, so, yeah, A-tracks are, are, are cool. And uh, unlike a cassette, if they break, if the tape actually breaks, you can repair them. I've, I've done that before. So that's fair. Bring back A-tracks. Well, Mark, I have a proposal for you. All right. We still have a fair amount left to talk about collections, and I'm sure I could dig up another category or two. Oh, so could I. <laughs> what What if we didn't do a two-parter, but we just did collections to sometime later? Ooh, all right. We uh, maybe maybe we'll do it this season. Maybe we'll do it next season. Who knows? But uh, I I feel like there's a couple of extra categories here, so we could we come back in and talk about more about like collecting. I I feel like. Uh, if there's any like hardcore coin or stamp collectors, I don't know that um, we're the best people to talk to, but I definitely, I mean, I have a lot of hobbies. ADD does that to you. Yeah. And I just want to own everything. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm a libertarian in the A free market. Uh, but no, I'm okay with that. We can come back to uh, collecting two electric boogaloo. Yeah. At I, some point. I, I can add martial arts weapons to my list. You can indeed. So, yeah, uh, thank you, listeners, uh, for sticking with us. We know this ran a little bit long, but you know Mark and I, we can talk. Uh, we do want to invite you to uh, subscribe or pre-save or whatever it's called on your par- podcatcher of choice. Uh, we come in at 8 a.m. on Friday mornings. Uh, I've been hearing that some companies are looking into... Um, 
lifting travel restrictions and making things uh, back into the office. So, uh, hey, make us your Friday morning commute uh, if, if that's your journey. Um, you know, we'd love to hear uh, whether or not we, we actually make a good commute podcast or not. That really wasn't where I thought you were going with that. You're like, I heard some companies and I'm like, oh, what the fuck did they do to the algorithm now? No, no. Uh, but yeah, we are online, uh, the com. We are on Facebook and Instagram at the Wit and Whiskey Cast. Uh, there is an E in whiskey and no H in wit, despite what Mark may tell you. Uh, and we're just out there every everywhere spotify apple podcast podbean mark's been working on a new banner that has like the 30 different places that we're at at this point um check out listen notes that they're nice enough to to uh update us uh mark what are we what are we gonna do next week well you know we've got quite a few ideas here as i look in the old uh w w folder we have going on and, you know, I'm leaning towards, well, you know, I was going to go with fan theories and whiskey, but we kind of talked a lot about comics and different things this week already. <laughs> uh, we could, if we want to, we could go with uh, disasters and whiskey because April's a big disaster month, or we can continue with the, the miserable theme. And we could do decades in whiskey because I know you have opinions. <laughs> decades in whiskey. I could research the 90s. Uh, so, you know, uh, we could do all of that. Uh, I think those two would probably be the best to start with. Unless we want to, you know, finally do what we've been threatening and do whiskey and whiskey. <laughs> whiskey and whiskey would be fun. But you have to promise me I could do rye. <laughs> or else I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, yeah, let's do whiskey and whiskey. All right. So there you go, folks. Uh, we're going to, you heard it here first. Uh, season five, episode three is going to be whiskey and whiskey. We're going to delve into all the different types and what they pair with and, uh, you know, how to find them and where they come from and different taste notes and, ooh. And why there are so many celebrities getting into the whiskey game. Oh, well, that's just to give me headaches. <laughs> in more than one way, apparently. <laughs> yes, quite literally, in fact. Well, thank you, everybody. Again, uh, shout out to Nuno Henry Silva for our intro and outro music. We're going to make sure to send you to uh, his SoundCloud. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll be right back next week. So until then, cheers. Salute.